You might notice in your uh, bulletin in the handout, the sermon title is, what's in this handout, what does it say? Offended. Yeah, I thought that was a little strong, so I changed it uh, to rejected. <laughs> this is Reformation Sunday. The heart of the Reformation is that human institutions are flawed and we mess up. And when that happens, what reformers do is we repent and we return to scripture and we trust and we ask God to guide us and take us the next step forward. So today, uh, we are gonna do some of that. But I wanna walk through the passage that Sabrina read to you. I've been studying this in Bible studies throughout the week and on Thursday, I, I read through this with the retired men. And when we were done, there's just a lot going on here. And when we were done, I asked them, I said, now how am I supposed to preach this? And they said, yeah. No idea, good luck, <laughs> basically is what I got from him. So there's a lot going on here. We're gonna take this verse by verse and we'll see what God has for us today. So let's start in verse one. It says, Jesus went out from there, came into his hometown and his disciples followed him. Now, where is his hometown? Jesus of Nazareth, that's right. Um, it seems from an earlier chapter, it seems that he had moved to a town called Capernaum. Uh, there's a verse that suggests that he had a home of some kind in Capernaum, but even though the text doesn't directly say the name Nazareth, he's clearly gone home. He's gone back to the place where he grew up. And that's really important. Um, for those of you that might be new to our church in the past couple of years, uh, I led the student ministry here and I led the worship band here from 2002 to 2012. Uh, after I was ordained, I left for a few years, served at a couple different churches uh, and then came back in 2019 uh, to be the senior pastor here. Now, for the people that knew me before, I would imagine... When you heard the committee tell you that they believed I was the one called to come back and serve as your senior pastor, imagine that probably came as a bit of a shock. Actually, don't have to imagine that because I've heard it from many of you. <laughs> you mean the youth guy? The guitar player? Like the guy who just wears sandals and t-shirts all the time? <laughs> that guy? Now, thankfully, at least it's my sense that thankfully, for the most part, it was all meant very positive. Like, that's great. That guy finally grew up. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> like maybe some of you have had that experience, right? Returning home. And it can be a challenge. If you've been gone for a while, it can be hard to return home because we're often remembered for who we were. It can be hard for people, especially those who know us really well, it can be hard for them to see us for who we are now, to accept us for the person that we've become. And this passage in this story, Jesus himself is wrestling with this reality. The problem is, y'all, he's not received well. He is not received well at all. In this story, it's actually a story of total rejection. It's actually very offensive. If you remember back a couple of weeks, uh, we discussed Mark chapter three, Jenner, uh, Jesus goes into a synagogue on the Sabbath and he finds a man that has a withered hand. Now there are a bunch of religious leaders there. They're just hanging out on the edge. They're watching to see what Jesus is gonna do. They're waiting to attack. They're waiting to accuse him of breaking the law for working on the Sabbath by healing this man. In Mark chapter three, Jesus is rejected by his own people. The religious leaders of Israel reject him. And that was hard. Today we're in Mark chapter six. This rejection gets really personal. I'm gonna keep reading. This is verse two. 
It says, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and the many listeners were astonished saying, where did this man learn these things? And what is this wisdom that's been given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hand? Okay, so far so good, right? Seems pretty positive on the surface. Notice they're, they're not questioning his teaching. They're not questioning the wisdom of his teaching. And they're not questioning whether these miracles are real. What they're questioning is where did the wisdom to teach and where did the power to do miracles come from? Like, what's the source? To be honest with you, they're asking many of the same questions that, that we ask. They're, they're kind of speaking for us in this verse. Who is this guy? It's the question the whole gospel is asking. Who is Jesus? Where does this power come from? And the next verse is where things take a turn. Verse three, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? His brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are his sisters not here with us too? And they took offense at him. I want to read to you how the message says it, and then we'll break it down. The message is really good. Uh, it says it this way. It says, on the Sabbath, he gave a lecture in the meeting place, and he stole the show. He impressed everyone. We had no idea he was this good, they said. How did he get so wise all of a sudden? Such ability. But in the very next breath, they cut him down. He's just a carpenter. That's Mary's boy. We've known him since he was a kid. We know his brothers and his sisters. Who does he think he is? He wasn't at all what they were expecting. He left Nazareth, the carpenter, and he returned as, as something else. They expected one thing when they heard he was coming home, but who they got was very different. He was so different, Mark tells us they were offended by him. The Greek word is the word skandalizo. It's where we get our word what? Scandal or scandalized. They were scandalized by him. That doesn't make any sense on the surface until you go back and look at what they said. What did they call him? They called him the son of Mary. This is Mary's boy. Now this is very important. Mark is quoting the people from the town. He's just telling you what they said. Mark, the writer of this gospel, he is not referring to Jesus as the son of Mary. He's quoting the people in the town who called Jesus the son of Mary. Do you see the difference? Because it's very important. Because what they said was wildly offensive. Like, we don't get it, we don't see it because we're used to the language, right? It's almost Advent, every Advent and Christmas, what do we sing? The babe, the son of Mary. It's very familiar language to us. We think of Jesus as the son of Mary. We know he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We know his true father is our heavenly father. We know the man Joseph married an already pregnant Mary and then raised Jesus in his home along with his brothers and sisters. That's very familiar language to us. But coming from his community, in that culture, coming from the people who were around him since he grew up, I'm telling you that phrase, the son of Mary, Mary's boy, totally offensive to him and to his mother. You have to remember, this was a patriarchal society. That means it was patrilineal. And all that means is that a person is known through the line of their father. They are the son of the father. You would never refer to someone as the son of their mother because it was offensive. But do you understand how much more so in the case of Jesus? 
Do you understand what they're saying? Like, like I need to watch my language. Do you understand what they're saying? Illegitimate at best. That's Mary's boy. Now this is a small town. When I left here for a couple of years, I went to Amarillo, a small town. <laughs> everybody knows everybody's business. Like, do you think it was lost on the people of Nazareth that Joseph and Mary were married, but returned home and that baby came really soon after? Like, there is another gospel that tells us that when Joseph learned that she was already pregnant, that he looked for a way to quietly divorce her so that, it says, so that he could protect her dignity because he wanted to save her from the shame that would no doubt come when they returned to the small town where everybody talks and everybody knows. That's Mary's boy. You see what they're saying about him? Illegitimate at best. You see what they're insinuating about her? Here's what they're saying. Who is this guy? We don't even know who his father is. Man, think about that. The people of Israel saying, who is this guy? We don't even know who his father is. There's irony there. It's an offensive rejection of Jesus. It's an attack on his mother's reputation. And all four gospels share with us some account of this is of this rejection of Jesus in his hometown. In Luke's gospel, when he tells the story, uh, the townspeople try to kill him. <laughs> they try to throw him off a cliff, but he just walks through the crowd and then he leaves his hometown for good. And he goes on about the business, about the work that God sent him to do. You see, the problem is why this is even worse. This rejection doesn't just come from his neighbors. Listen to what he says in verse four. Jesus himself said to them, a prophet is not dishonored except in his hometown. And then he adds something. And among his own relatives and in his own household. Now listen, I don't think that Mary was a part of this rejection. Like from time to time, it seems like she was confused by him and what he was doing, but she had an experience with God. She knew something the others didn't. I don't think Mary was a part of this rejection, but in John's gospel in chapter seven, it tells us plainly that Jesus's own brothers did not believe in him. This rejection was personal and it came from within his own home. Y'all, this is what, this is what the, people of, the people who bring the word of God, this is what they should expect. People who bring the word of God should expect rejection. Rejection because unholy and rebellious people, listen, all of us, right? All of us unholy and rebellious. But unholy and rebellious people, they simply don't wanna hear from a holy God who's calling them into a new way of life. They don't wanna hear it. And Jesus wasn't just a prophet speaking the word of God. He's the great high priest. Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah. He is God with us. If unholy and rebellious people don't wanna hear from a holy God, What'll happen when they meet him face to face? Continues in verse five, it says that he could not do any miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Did I read that right? Is that... He could not do any miracle there 
except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He couldn't do any miracles except for the miracles he did. It's confusing, right? It's on purpose. Uh, so listen, uh, Mark is not saying that Jesus can't do miracles unless the people come to him in faith. Jesus performs miracles in the gospels even when the only person with any faith in God is Jesus himself. Jesus has the power to heal in any and all circumstances. But in the face of unbelief, and unbelief is different from lacking faith, it's different from doubt. Unbelief is outright rejection. It's the opposite of belief. In the face of rejection and unbelief, there is a self-imposed restriction on Jesus' power to save. And at first that might sound harsh, but y'all, it's incredibly gracious. Listen, if you don't wanna be healed, if you don't wanna be saved, he's not gonna force it on you. If you don't want Jesus, he will not force himself on you. If you don't want Jesus, that's what you get. There's a painfully gracious truth in the gospel that the only people who cannot experience Jesus's miraculous power, the only people who are excluded from participating in God's kingdom are the people who exclude themselves by outright rejecting Jesus. To everyone else, lepers, sinners, the poor, the weak, whatever, Jesus is saying, come on. The only people excluded from participating in God's kingdom are those who exclude themselves. And that's what his own people have done. Jesus can do no miracles in a town that has rejected him because they've said no. They've excluded themselves and he restricts his own power in response so that they can have what they want. It's incredibly gracious, but it's also sad. But there is some good news in Mark's really confusing verse. He couldn't do any miracles except the miracles he did. Because even in a town that rejected him, even when it seems like a culture, an entire culture has rejected him, there's always what the Bible calls a remnant. There are always some people who have eyes to see, who have ears to hear. In Nazareth and in our culture today, there are some who don't reject Jesus but they put their faith and their trust in him. And Jesus gives them what they want to. He gives them himself. The passage ends like this. It says that he was amazed at their unbelief. Remember, it started by saying they were amazed by him. Well, now he's amazed at their unbelief. And he went around in the villages teaching. Okay, so that's the passage. We have like a good news, bad news situation, okay? Um, I wanna read you how one author explains it. He says, the bad news, Jesus accepts his own family's rejection and he leaves. Rather than stay and argue with his own people, rather than try to convince them further, Jesus moved on. And this marked the end of his ministry in Nazareth. That's the bad news. The good news is that their rejection neither discouraged nor put a stop to his work. He continued the ministry of teaching, of healing, continuing to offer the gospel of God to whoever has ears to hear. Jesus dusts the sh the, shakes the dust off his feet and he goes back to the work that his father sent him to do. 
Listen, so far in Mark's gospel, is Jesus generally accepted or rejected by people? Generally rejected. He's rejected by Pharisees and Herodians. Those are religious and cultural elites. And by the way, those two groups, the the Pharisees and the Herodians, uh, they hated each other. They hated each other. They disagreed about absolutely everything. Left and right. Couldn't see eye to eye, except on one thing. They hated and rejected Jesus. They conspired together to put him on a cross. He's rejected by people in the city. He's rejected by people in the villages. He's rejected by people in Jewish towns. He's rejected by people in Gentile cities, by strangers, even his own family. Jesus is rejected by everyone everywhere, except, except for those who encounter him in faith. And when they do, their lives are forever changed. And y'all, that's really important. When you encounter Jesus by faith, your life is forever changed. Nobody has a true encounter with Jesus and is left unchanged. And many pastors have said this many times. Jesus accepts us just as he finds us. How did he find you? Did he find you perfect and clean and holy and righteous? No, he found you lost and broken, just like me. Jesus accepts us just as he finds us, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And that's why Jesus is rejected, because no one wants change. This is why he was rejected 2,000 years ago, and it's why he's rejected today. So we need to take this rejection of Jesus, and we need to make it personal. Uh, we, we expect the world around us to reject Jesus. That, that makes sense. Um, but our scripture says that he was rejected by his own people, by his own family. And we know that family doesn't always just mean blood. It, it's the people you claim, right? The people that you claim to belong to. So who are Jesus's people today? Who's his family? It's us, it's his church. So... <laughs> So we have to ask the hard question. We, we could just move on to the next passage, but we can't. We have to ask the hard question. We can't walk away from this passage without asking, where might we find unbelief and even rejection in the church today? And y'all, I could point to a lot of places, a lot of evidence where that's happening in the church in our culture. The churches that have decided to preach prosperity and self-help instead of the gospel of repentance that leads to salvation. The churches that have come to deny that Jesus is the only way to salvation, that his word has authority over our lives. But I wanna focus on a couple that are more relevant to us. As individuals, may, as individuals maybe we're good with accepting Jesus as savior, right? We're, we're happy to accept his sacrifice on our behalf because that's the key to eternal life after we die but that's often all we are willing to let him be. We accept his sacrifice, but what about this life here and now? Is Jesus just fire insurance? (laughs) Or is he also the king? Are we we like uh, Dallas Willard calls them vampire Christians? Do we just want him for his blood? (laughs) Or do we accept him for his way of life as well? 
Y'all look, there's really only one rational way to think about it. If, if Jesus really is the son of God, if he is God in the flesh, if he is God with us, if he truly died and was raised again, then he's the final word on everything. He's the final word on every part of this life and the next. Now, if he's not, then who cares? Just ignore him. Everybody has to make that choice, who is Jesus? But if he is, if he is, that is the path to a life that begins today. Jesus is the blood shed for our redemption, but he is also the way, the truth, and the life. Do we accept him as savior, but reject him as king? And if we do that, have we really accepted him at all? As his church, as individuals who come together as disciples, do we trust Jesus or do we reject him when he sends us out into the world to continue the ministry he started? The next passage says this, starting in verse seven, it said, he summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And then skipping down to verse 12, it said, and they went out and preached that people are to repent. And they were casting out many demons and they were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Okay, let's just start, let's just start there. They were anointing with, I'll, I'll skip the demons for today, okay? <laughs> they were anointing many people with oil and they were healing the sick. Do we believe that Jesus has the power to heal and do miracles among us today? Do we? Okay, we say we do. And I'm not doubting you. We say we do, but do we pray that over one another? Many of us do, but here's the question. When we pray that over one another, are we really praying, of course, trusting in his will, but are we praying for healing with the expectation that it might actually happen? And I have to be honest, this is one way that I, that I find myself rejecting Jesus. I am so quick. I am so quick to just submit to God's will. If it's God's will, they'll be healed. That I have found that in my life, it has kept me from thinking that when I'm sitting with somebody, if we're laying, a group of us are laying our hands on them and if we're praying for them, I have realized in those moments, I don't think that they're actually gonna come away from this healed. As a reformer, I gotta repent of that. <laughs> and I gotta return to scripture because that's a rejection of the power of Jesus. If we believe that he can heal and do miracles, then we should pray like it. Like, do we live with the expectation that Jesus will truly change lives? I mean, transform lives. That he will soften hardened hearts. That he'll reveal himself to generations that seem to have rejected him in his church. Will he win them over even if it seems like they couldn't care less? Anybody have kids or grandkids that you're worried about? Do you believe that Jesus can transform their lives, that he can make himself real to them in a way that they'll start to care more? Do we believe that he'll truly heal the addict? Or do we just wait around and wait for them to fall off the wagon again? Do we believe that he can really heal a marriage that seems beyond repair? Or do we just do what everybody else in the world does and just we go to the only alternative, which is divorce? This is from the same scholar I mentioned earlier. His name is Lamar Williamson. He says this. He says, the spiritual climate of a congregation, its sense of expectancy, its openness to the power of God at work through Jesus Christ will have a great deal to do 
with how much God's power can accomplish in that community. Our unbelief does not render render God impotent. But when it's dominant in a congregation, its dampering effect on the mighty acts of God in that time and in that place is evident and sad. Do you ever wonder why we don't see God do incredible things in our culture today? Do you ever wonder why the incredible miracles of God, we always hear that from the missionaries that are in other parts of the world. Maybe the reason that we don't see God do incredible things in our culture today is because we really just don't believe that he can. Like maybe Jesus is being rejected by his own people, even today. Like for three years, you've heard week after week that our purpose here is to love God and to love our neighbors by becoming disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. Every Sunday, we send each other out with a benediction that reminds us that the work begins when you leave this place every Sunday. You have heard that and you've responded positively to it. You seem to agree with it. You seem to have bought into the idea that that's the only thing God left us to do. That's the work Jesus left for us to do. Are we doing it? Are we making disciples of Jesus as we go throughout our day? Like, can you answer two questions? Who's discipling you? Can you name the person that you are following as together you follow Jesus? Who's discipling you? And who are you discipling? Who are you bringing along with you as you follow Jesus? Do we trust his calling on our lives or do we reject it? And listen, the session and staff, like we've got work to do. Part of our job is to give you the opportunities, the encouragement to equip you to do this work. But the truth is, if a church isn't willing to be transformed by Jesus, if the church isn't willing to be formed in his image, if the church isn't willing to, trans, to share that transforming good news with others, then what's the point? Why are we even here? All right, maybe you're getting a little uncomfortable. <laughs> you might be ready to throw me off a cliff, right? <laughs> Listen, don't despair. If any of that is hitting home a little bit, like you're in really good company. That hits every one of us at some point. Because the truth is that we are all a complicated mess and we are wavering between trusting Jesus and rejecting him. And I think I know why. It's because, like I said last week, we are a complicated mess and we are constantly wavering between fear and faith. Y'all, when we reject his calling and his mission to go and make disciples as we go about our lives, it's because we're more afraid of what others might think of us than we are of rejecting the work our king has commanded us to do. Like we are putting our fear in people rather than putting it in God more afraid of being rejected by them than we are afraid of rejecting him. But listen, he gets it. He understands what that feels like. Was he generally accepted or rejected by the people around him? Throughout the New Testament, were his disciples generally accepted or rejected by the people they encountered? So what should we expect today? 
In another gospel, uh, Jesus makes this clear in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. (laughs) Now look, we're not trying to be offensive. We're not looking for rejection. Now look, I do have to say, if we're being rejected because we're just being jerks, that's different. And that's present in the church today. He will comfort us and he will bless us when we're being persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's his promise. But if we're being persecuted because we're just being jerks, we're probably on our own. (laughs) We're not looking to be rejected, but we are called to tell the truth. The truth that God has accepted us exactly as he found us. Every one of us, a broken mess. He's accepted us as he found us, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And that means that we will be changed. And that leads to rejection because no one wants to change. Y'all, some will accept Jesus, some will reject him. That's not up to us. It's not up to us. So what do we do? Be brave. You don't have to have all the answers. When we say, go be a disciple maker, we're not saying you gotta pass all these classes and you gotta know every answer so you can make them the perfect disciple of Jesus. You just have to know your story. Know the way that Christ has saved and is transforming you. Go share that with somebody and just invite them to follow you as you follow Jesus. That's it, that's all it is. Be brave and do it. Put your fear and your faith in God, not in people. And don't take it personally. (laughs) Jesus told his disciples, when you go to these villages, when they reject you, what did he say? You wipe the dust off your feet and move on. Brush it off. Because they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. So brush it off. Get back to work. Focus on the good work that he's called you to do and trust Jesus with the outcome. Amen? Can I tell you some good news before I'm done? (laughs) I told you in John chapter seven, it says that Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him until the end of the gospels in the book of Acts tell us that they did because they built his church. And when they did it, they didn't go around saying, we're the brothers of Jesus. They could have so easily done that. You know how much credibility they would have gotten in the culture if they would have called themselves the brothers of Jesus? but they didn't. You know what they called themselves? His disciples. They said, follow us as we follow him. They didn't believe until they did. There's hope. Let's pray. Father, I'm gonna gonna pray the same words that I pray often here. Give us the courage and the strength to do the work that you have called us to do. Prepare and teach the leadership of this church to equip and encourage the people to do the work that you've called us to do. Make us brave and courageous. Teach us to love and to go out. We pray all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said. Amen.